Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Angela. This is Books Are oh, very Good, good actually. actually. And for this slightly delayed podcast for... Uh, We're on Jimmy. time. On time We're on time. It's fine. Uh, we... no, no one's <laughs> demanding these things from us. This is true. This is like out of my own pure satisfaction of like, I just have a set thing of like, yeah, the month, like the f last Monday of the month, we should do it. But anyway, <laughs> mm -hmm. we fair, read fair. George Jackson's Blood in My Eye. And... Oh, my eye. Ow. Ow. Um, yeah, so that's what we read for this week or this month of June. I keep wanting to say July. Fuck you, June and July. Uh, yeah. I'll start off with general feelings on the book as we usually do. Sick. Um, so I would say the first 87 pages of this book is a trip. Uh, it is yes. just a big old ramble for a bit with some interesting ideas of putting, uh, $6 worth of whatever into a tank and it's going to blow up. And, um, didn't account for inflation. Didn't account for inflation. So it'd be like $50 worth of stuff from CVS or whatever to put in a tank which is and, still pretty good to blow up the tank. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. And then, um, you know, so so that was there was that. And then after I got out of the fever dream, then it got kind of a, a bit more interesting, uh, especially around his thoughts of like vanguard parties, like what they're there for, uh, or his ideas, I should say, of vanguard parties, the revolution, what happens when the revolution fails, um, and his theory not theory but kind of his observation of like fascism and um kind of have like a, a brief history of it which <laughs> was a little off but it was fine for, for someone who is getting materials and learning about fascism in california's penal system right okay that's fine yeah it's fine it's just like it's it's one of those things where like you like when you read history books from like the seventies or the eighties and a lot of that stuff is like even if it's like history about things of twenty to thirty years ago from that point and then later we like discover new things about stuff or like oh this is a misconception. Yeah. It like yeah. that that type of stuff. So like, you know, it is what it is. Um yeah. and then so yeah, I think overall the book is really interesting, especially contrasting with um fuck uh with a couple other um you know we did qep and yeah. um it was it was honestly really good that we read those two as close together as we did yeah because they even as a black panther party they seem to have like kind of different ideas about how some things were gonna go um so yeah. uh i thought yeah, it was good. Yeah, you're right. It's good that we kind of read those pretty closely together, um, especially just because the like how some people saw Black Panther Party, how like and like George Jackson definitely was. No, I'm going to be the vanguard general. That's what he wanted. And, mm -hmm. you know, that that is where he is speaking from. Like, if if I wasn't in fucking prison, I would be the vanguard like general for the shit. And yep. here's how I would do things. So, you know, it's it's overall I enjoyed the book. I thought the first part was kind of eh, but everything else after that was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Same. I I do have a few bones to pick with George just from 
I, I think him not having the full context of World War II. Um, and oh, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that World War II thing, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's... Uh... Yeah. There's the one imperialist war that actually, yes, it was good to fight, even if the, like, the U.S. as a result came. Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Right, yeah. Um, chapter one, like you said, was kind of fever dreamish it's very like he's he switches in and out from like uh reading letters that he's been sent from his brother and other revolutionary comrades to like quoting Mao quoting Fanon quoting um quoting Lenin um interestingly enough he doesn't quote Trotsky even though like I feel like he would probably jive decently well with a uh, number of things that Trotsky uh, said, and his his view of fascism, absolutely Trotsky's view of fascism. Okay. Um, or I feel it's uh, Trotsky's view of fascism. Um, we haven't read any Trotsky, so uh, we'll get there. It's it's hard. Yeah, um, so much to read. So much, and uh, no one's paying us to do this, so we can't just uh, you know quit our jobs and uh, um, but. Chapter two, um, like you said, a lot more straightforward. Um, definitely a, a very, very persuasive argument for the necessity of a vanguard party in the United States. Um, and puts forward a very concrete position on who the vanguard party should be and why. Yeah. Um, also puts forth a very strong argument for um, revolutionary violence in addition to the pre-existing like political and cultural efforts by the non-military uh, wing of the uh, the communist party um, yeah three and four very short chapters um, they're basically just kind of rehashes of the first two if I'm remembering. Yeah, in a, in a way, they kind of were rehashing uh, a lot of stuff. I think it was kind of, I think, if you kind of look at it from, like, he was getting these letters, and then he was kind of, like, forming his, like, position from, like, the letters and other readings he had to, I think, a bit more um, easier steps or kind of, like, this is how I would be doing things, like, yeah. directives, than the first part. Yeah. And then, big chapter on fascism, like, like uh, Angela is saying, pretty solid understanding, though. And <clears throat> to, to be clear, uh, listeners, it's it's not like a discussion of like World War II European fascism. It's like specifically the pre-World War II fascism, like the 1800s into the 1900s, the building of the identity of fascism, and then basically skips over the actual World War II part of fascism. Um, doesn't touch on Hitler, like, yeah. at all. <laughs> Which is interesting um, and potentially a little concerning. Yeah, I, you know, we, we'll just bring it up here because I don't think any of our questions cover that. It is very interesting that I, I also took note of like, huh, didn't mention Hitler. Um, didn't yeah. mention because, like, we knew when we went to World War II what the fuck was going on with the Jews. 
in the concentration mm, camps? Somewhat, somewhat. Uh, I, the U.S. population did not know that, like the yeah. the extent of the extermination, but we were aware that. Hitler was not cool with Yeah, because we said, yeah, you guys can't come here either. So, yeah. yeah. So, but the whole, yeah, it was just kind of like, wow, that's a really interesting omission that you mm-hmm. made here. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the focus was a lot on Italy, which, yeah, that's kind of where things birthed from. But still, mm-hmm. it's like, if you're going to talk about the history of fascism and then just kind of omit a big fucking player in it especially when you were born after yeah or during world war ii and then lived in the period after yeah and especially when like uh a lot of shit from nazi germany because we're like hey some of y'all should come over here after Mm -hmm. this whole thing kind of like you know you're hitler's dead you should just come over here we'll we'll find a use for you like I, yeah. like it's it's like guys like no it's it it is very important to mention them because a lot of them shaped policy and like other shit that they and fucking state violence like come yeah. on yeah um so he does a really good job of explaining why the U.S. government is a fascist government yes um even though it seems not to be yeah um. And a lot of liberals would argue that it isn't because they're they're looking for like brown shirts and black shirts and concentration camps, even though, hey, yeah, we got those, yeah, um, yeah. But I think so. um, his uh, he he had like a passage about like fascism molds to whatever, and like mm-hmm. there's the it does the. Uh, it finds a way to be counter-revolutionary, like, constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, that is its, like, main fucking insidiousness of it. It always mm-hmm. finds a way around stuff to yeah. get people hyped up into it again. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's syncretic. Yeah. And it is It is very much like the, uh, the revolutionary potential of any place. It is entirely contextually dependent on the culture and the politics and the economics of the place in, which, in the yeah. case fascism fester so um he does a great job with that and then the final chapter is fine um it's it's kind of like a a further discussion of if i'm remembering correctly and the party um correct me if i'm wrong um it was like 22 pages and like 15 of it was him and then it was kind of like his his summary yeah it was kind of like it was a summary and also weirdly enough and granted like he died just after you know writing this all out it felt kind of like because he was like yeah i'm gonna go to like my prison you know i'm sorry i have my court date yada 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 it was kind of like i don't know if i'll make it to that court date Mm -hmm. like it was very much like yeah this is me like i'm probably going to die soon and you know yeah um and then he did yeah, um, and he did and then the rest of the last chapter is the eulogy that um qep newton gave. yep um so let's see let's see um as far as how i feel um i feel this is if i were to 
I can't give this a 10. Okay. Because of the omissions of his, his understanding of fascism and also the I feel like chapter one, while it is good, could be off-putting to other readers if this is their first book of like political like theory. Yeah. Um but it's good. It's a good book. Uh probably like an eight point five if we were to rate this out of ten. Which should we start rating books out of ten? Um Okay. Well listener, I'm giving it an eight point five out of ten. All right. That uh, is Jimmy's yeah. rating system, which I don't endorse. Fair enough. <laughs> so why does Jackson argue that a socialist revolution in the U.S. will not be possible unless it takes considerations of racism essentially? Do you want me to go or you want to go? Go for it. All right. So essentially, Jackson is like, hey, intersectionality is pretty based and we should <laughs> like uh, our, you know, our movement needs to be, um, you know, uh, pretty much uniformed and uh like opposed to racism because like he does mention in the book and like the reason why a lot of the um the security not sec prison guards were trying to fucking murder him was because he was like he went to the other like white prisoners and was like hey like you also getting I'm shit not on your enemy. yeah and we if we work together we can make changes and the prison guards were like, that's some shit that we're going to have to deal with. So, like, let's, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, anyway, Jackson pretty much is trying to, like we said everywhere else, it's like, uh, everyone, if we need to have the, the amount of people that we have as the uh, working class is way bigger than the fucking ruling class. Mm -hmm. So, being divided is fucking stupid. You also mm -hmm. just won't have enough people. Um, you also need to kind of raise the consciousness of as many people to actually like buy into the revolution. Because if you don't, then it fucking fails pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah, you go ahead. Um, on that, um, why? I mean, obviously, racism is bad. I mean, that's self-explanatory uh, but <clears throat> the reason why it has to be tackled head-on to have a potentially successful socialist revolution in the united states is white people are the like privileged underclass of the ruling yeah. class and if they don't buy in um then it instead of it being a class war it will become uh a racial civil right and while black and brown and other people of color like constitute uh, are white people a minority at this point in the US? Um in the seventies? Not in the seventies, like right now. Oh, uh no. Okay. So it's close. It's I pretty feel close. Like. Yeah. Um, but white people are still a majority. Now, even if you say you have like 50% of white people that are like, yes, socialist intersectional revolution now. The other half, it's still a problem. Yeah. And to ideally, I mean, obviously, like 
ideally everyone just gets on board and the bloodshed is missed. Um, but the less and less people you get on board, the more and more protracted the war will be. And that's not ideal. Yeah. Uh, it may be necessary, but it's not ideal. Um, and then without taking considerations of racism in, which um, so I don't know how, like, how much, like, he would have considered it at the time. Um, but there are longstanding, and potentially for good reason, um, longstanding, like, animus between other uh, peoples of color. Um, famously, uh, at, if we look to, say, the, the Rodney King riots, um, Black people in LA and Korean people in LA, um, or Asian people in LA, because I don't think people were necessarily choosing to make a distinction at any given moment, um, had some issues with it. Um, and I don't know if George Jackson was at the time aware of this or if it was even necessarily an issue at the time, because also like 20 years after World War II, did the Asian population on the West Coast have the same economic advantages and, and position that they did, did say, the 90s, um, when more of that animus uh, existed? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't... So <laughs> I guess I would say, like they did with uh, some folks, where they're just like, "Oh, you want to open a business? You don't. You can't open a business in the white area, but you can do it in right. the ghetto." And right. that, like, a lot of those shops and things are pretty generational. So I would imagine it was you know. probably starting in the seventies. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it definitely would have been interesting to see George Jackson's position on that and i imagine he would have been like we need to break those barriers down too because we need more people on the side of liberation yeah um but it i don't know where i was going with that um oh because um yeah no i still don't know where i was going with that. <laughs> anyway um it's absolutely necessary um i do wish that George Jackson had, say, taken the Black Panther Party to task a little bit uh, regarding the sexism that was ongoing, but I also uh, imagine yeah. he probably was not as aware of that, given, once again, writing and working from prison. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we consider the fact that he's been in prison for a good majority of his life, and mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah, it probably wasn't on his forefront of thoughts, or, you know, probably most of the people he wrote, like, corresponded with were men. So, yeah. men and Angela Davis. Yeah, and like he give her praises, but like mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, the sexism was not happening at the level of Angela Davis. It was happening yeah. in the everyday, like runnings of Black Panther Party. Um, so ultimately, uh, Jackson is making the case against dogmatism in the revolution, and we need to explain what this means. Um. So I would say it goes back to, um, and I also had a little bit of an issue with this book, though, I mean, we're not experts in it either, but, and once again, 
he did not have all of the potential resources that he could have uh, to learn about this. And some of those resources did not yet exist. Right. But um, I feel like his understanding of dialectics was a bit um, misguided. He, he, he definitely um, like held the understanding of it of synthesis, antithesis, uh, or thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Um, which is still the prevalent view of it, uh, the misunderstanding of it. Um, so, but applying that, his his view is that it, you cannot just hold the same line and hope that nothing ever changes because life is full of change. Right. Because um, I think when, like, kind of later on in the book, too, it was like, okay, so you know, the tactics that worked once and then failed, we need to learn from those and then try not to like repeat them. Uh, I thought it was interesting was him being like, all right, so we need to like infiltrate um, these different institutions and like start kind of sabotaging them and like all this mm -hmm. other stuff. And then also provide like in the cities, we're going to try to like run these cities and have um, enough, um, like resources for everybody so that they've stopped depending on the state. So like, mm -hmm. you know, he was just trying to be like, we need it like hopefully like be flexible and not try to like, okay, so like Russian revolution did this. So we needed like do exactly that. And yes. it's like, yeah, that's not always, no, like things are like is yeah. 60 years from that is like, it's completely fucking different. Like even then. Mm -hmm. And also the, the material conditions, like the secret police in Russia, like, sure they can follow yeah. you around and like take notes on you but like they didn't have the ability to like bug your house they right. didn't have the ability to like have a helicopter in the sky following you um so like the the ways and means in which uh violent revolutionary tactics were to be employed had to be completely unique to the american situation and um information gathering like had to be has to be critical right. um in the american situation like unfortunately some revolutionaries will probably have to become cops just so they can keep like track and like assist the the vanguard party in eluding capture um, yeah some revolutionaries are gonna have to join the fbi um it's so <laughs> Some revolutionaries will probably have to fucking join the the TSA. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just it is unfortunate because it means that in in the everyday they will potentially be uh, causing harm to people just to keep cover. Um, but in the long term, it will be useful to have eyes and ears inside the machine. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, rules for radicals that we read of just like your mm -hmm. tactics have to change. Like yes. you you got to you got to be moving all the time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, does it sound exhausting? Yes. But yes. like that is that is the way like uh I guess I'll kind of bring it back around to the book. This book really kind of does the like kind of takes the wool over the eyes like, "Oh yeah, we'll just like march through and uh with our mm -hmm. guns or anything cool and he's like bro you have to like contend with like you're gonna die so like the yeah. people who are on the vanguard party have to like pretty much 
you do boot camp, like you're gonna like kill somebody or die. Like that is yeah. like that is like your sole job, and it's like pretty fucking you know sobering. And mm-hmm. it's like yes, like when we're doing violence, violence will be acted upon you too. And yes, and so much more than like you will ever enact. Like yeah. the state is going to respond because as he talks about in in the the fascism chapter and and in the chapter on the bank i guess it's not really in the fascism chapter it's it's just really but it's like if you if you blow up a pipeline um they're going to come after you they're going to come after yourself they're going to potentially if they capture you still alive they will torture you um the the u.s government will not play by the rules if they truly feel threatened. Historically, they never have uh, it when they are truly threatened. And it, even going back to just after the, the revolution, like if you try an uprise, they're, they're going to fucking slaughter you as, yeah. as much as they fucking can. And you have to understand that and be prepared for that and react to that. So like he talks about like, uh, learning from the Vietnamese and prior to doing any sort of um, actions against the U.S. government. And he's also assuming that the majority of the actions that you're taking are like within the city centers. And I certainly think that's true in that that still holds true. But also like actions will have to take place against like economic I- infrastructure. So like pipelines, uh, power system. Uh, water reservoirs as much as like hurting the population is not good in the short term or the long term those sort of actions put immense pressure on the the u.s government um but before any of that happens like you need to have tunnels you need to have hidey holes you need to have places that you can go when the heat is on because they're going to be fucking coming for you. And an, another thing that he doesn't mention because the technology did not exist at the time, um, but it's something he probably should have mentioned anyway, because even still, the technology somewhat did exist at the time. It's just a question of like, did he know or not? But like, they're always listening. So like, you can't do this shit over the You cannot do this shit over the phone. You cannot do this shit through the mail yeah um like uh, maybe mail but still like you got to burn that shit (laughs) once you've read it memorize it burn it um any code will be cracked uh with enough effort and enough time and enough resources if you make yourself a large enough thorn in the side of the u.s government they're gonna find you so you gotta be ready yeah um yeah i agree with pretty much like all that i it's just really interesting to have it kind of spelled out pretty well um and also like sometimes i feel like with lennon's work it's a lot of like you're the hero now dog like glory you know it's it's i want to say it's a bit like uh fantastical in a way it's kind of like Mm -hmm. an adventure book right like oh yeah Mm -hmm. you're just gonna go out and do the thing blah blah blah. like granted like i know that's not was his intention but sometimes like reading it it's just kind of i guess maybe the wording sounds a bit um heroic Mm -hmm. at times Mm -hmm. and it was certainly also a bit easier for him to take that position because like 
like it's reasonable for a person with like uh, a makeshift bludgeoning weapon to in in a group of people charge like a bunch of cossacks on horseback and bludgeon them yeah it is less reasonable to take a makeshift bludgeoning weapon and as a group charge uh, a bunch of cops in, in SWAT gear with AR-15. Yeah. So, like, the the tactic needs to change. Like, it, it you have to be so fucking sneaky. Like, the entire, like, at one point he says the only, I, I, and I'm mangling and paraphrasing here, but, like, the only time that a cop is going to know that I am there is when I am behind him with my knife on his neck. And that that is the way that guerrilla warfare will, would have to operate in the like it cannot be out the it cannot be obvious. Like you need to blend in, you need to be able to disappear. Because if and you also need to not have obvious connections to the political apparatus of the revolutionary party. Uh, they need to have deniability. Yeah, he mentioned so. that as like it's a very like because like that's a very obvious thing to have like a separate thing, and you know I kind of wonder, like, was it smart? Like, was it a good idea for the Black Panther Party to also be the Vanguard Party? And I wonder if that also didn't help mm -hmm. at the time. Um, mm -hmm. Granted, like you know FBI and CIA are all on their shit. Like it wouldn't have mattered, anyway. but yeah. you know sometimes I'm kind of like, uh, mm -hmm. then again, you know probably people from the civil rights group were like yeah that's not us so yeah. uh no, I, don't know. I mean I the fbi and the cia were all over like the peaceful like protest march uh like movement of black liberation in the 60s and the 50s like just not to say that every every march and every protest was peaceful because bloodshed and violence were always a part of Black liberation in the 50s and the 60s, and it's just been whitewashed. Um, but, like, uh, FBI is, like, fucking telling MLK to kill himself. Like, they they don't care how peaceful you are if you aim to make a significant enough disruption, even through a peaceful means. But they're yeah. still going to fuck with you. So, uh, do you want to read the next? Sure. Uh, discuss Jackson. Unless... Do you have, do you have any more thoughts on dogmatism and revolutionary theory and vanguard violence? Uh, no, I think I said my. All right. Uh, next discussion point. Discuss Jackson's use of the Frankenstein metaphor to explain the specific design and functionality of capitalist societies and system structures. Um. So I was trying. I was trying to find this section of this book, and I swear to God, I feel like this question was put in the wrong spot. Um, so I'm going to probably butcher this quite a bit. Um, I think the whole point of like Frankenstein is essentially, or I guess like the general metaphor is you're creating something that you can control, but it will always, but like you can't, like it's a force of nature sometimes. Uh, yeah. So essentially in a way, and to probably interpret this a little bit differently than probably what the question's going to say. Um, the way that people kind of talk about capitalism is definitely a very, like, it's a force of nature. It's just a thing that kind of happens, and it's just, it will also um, uh, change in no. the thought I'm going down. Um, I, I think you're going down the right um, track, absolutely. Because, like, 
Dr. Frankenstein's monster was built to be like strong and like completely under his control. Like built according to certain rules and certain understandings that Frankenstein had. Similarly, like <clears throat> capitalism does not exist in like a vacuum. It only exists in the structure of uh, society that our governing bodies has for it. So they're like, okay, we're going to set up all these rules about how our monster capitalism can work. Right. And then capitalism is just like, oh, so these are the rules, but uh, so about those rules, fuck you. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, like any, any rigid, slow moving structure it is not going to be able to anticipate um, the unforeseen changes um, because I mean, also uh, it, it seems like liberals uh, and uh, conservatives uh, don't don't understand dialectics, and yeah. even capitalism uh, follows the rules of dialectics, like everything does. So um, it's the the monster is always going to uh, act of its own accord, even if you set up what you think is the perfect system for it. Yeah, and like also like with the thing like. Capitalism is also like, or like Frankenstein is also a bolt on of several different parts and things like that to get it to kind of just yes. work slightly. So, um, it is this kind of the shambling wreck of a, you know, <clears throat> a beast with just bolted on things of like, all right, so they're asking for fucking weekends. All right, we'll give them weekends maybe, but like, you know, take out a couple of them like before we give it to them. Um, you know, there's these, like, you know, so, like, that gets on, and everyone's like, okay, that's cool, everything seems great, and then, like, oh, people are asking to, like, vote and stuff. All right, we'll, we'll vote that on, and we'll just keep this guy going. Like, mm -hmm. there, it will always try to essentially keep this momentum going until forever, until, I guess, for some people, free for some evangelicals, until the apocalypse happens. Um... Yeah, you know, um, and of course, at its ticking heart is stockholding and yeah. limited liability. So that, like, it, it's it's all built around that heart, and that's what keeps the the blood pumping in the monster. But they did not foresee, like, oh, this heart is going to like develop, like, um, like sh shorting and and uh, doing like all sorts of strange like uh, future derivatives and creating like oh we'll create a, a market for trading water and um a, a market for trading electricity and then doing like derivatives and futures on like potentially delivered water in six months um and uh creating like uh, creating like a bonds but um Whatever the in the various like what caused the housing bubble the oh subprime um, mortgage the subprime mortgages but then the packaging there it is that's a good word the packaging okay. of the subprime mortgages into from like B rated material into like triple A or double A rated materials through like essentially like scotch taping them all together into a larger material and then trading that under false pretenses because now it's not a subprime mortgage it's ten thousand 
subprime mortgages and like they can't all fail, right? Um, so yeah, it's, I, I do think that Frankenstein's monster is a great way to think about capitalism, even if you think you know the rules you don't. Yeah. Which, if we approach socialism with the same like, political behavior as we do capitalism, will probably result in similar outcomes just from us trying to create a perfect structure rigid, rigidly. And as we learned from David and David in The Dawn of Everything, like more egalitarian societies require the ability to reject the structure of the current society, which goes back to dialectics and goes back to um, what Jackson was talking about, um, about being against dogmatism. Yeah. Um, I think the... Yeah, uh, you're mentioning you know, like a rigid structure. Like the reason why we're kind of in this shit in the first place is the fact that we have rigid structure in terms of like the constitution, a bunch of other things in which you know our forefathers said, "Hey, this is like kind of a suggestion slash, uh, you know, except mm -hmm. for black people thing." They were like, "That's not a suggestion. They are not mm -hmm. people." But also women. And also women, women are not people. But the whole point was you're supposed to, like, it should be a living document that does get changed because yeah. they're at least like, yeah, we're probably not going to all, like, we're going to be fucking dead. This nation is still going to be here. So the fact that we're just so holding fast on a bunch of, like, like old-ass documents that should, in theory, be updated mm -hmm. constantly, like, mm -hmm. whatever, it's, it's frustrating. It would have like, been pretty brilliant of them to just be like and the final like constitutional amendment is the constitution has a sunset clause of 60 years yeah like fuck it yeah <laughs> chris will have some and, fuck who'll be like oh, i'm gonna try to get rid of that but yeah 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 um yeah but unfortunately uh uh people are are too People think they are too smart, and so yes. they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll just we'll be able to come together again like this in thirty or forty or fifty or sixty or years and make significant sweeping changes to address the needs of the time." And it's like, no, no, uh, we'll we'll tack on some stuff as need be, but the the underlying structure shall. Yeah, it's <clears throat> whole point like just reading, you know, Dawn of Everything and stuff like that. It's like we should be like as people we're constantly changing so we should be society should be and society in general is changing like generally like a lot but mm -hmm. our laws and a bunch of other shit doesn't and it doesn't adapt and it takes it's too fucking slow yeah. so yeah so joe jackson's definition of fascism uh what are you, what's your opinion on it i mean we have already but let, let's delve further so he does mention the eight different ver like the eight rules. Um, he does reference that, and overall, it's okay. Rules? Uh, not rules, like it's kind of like a uh, sorry. Um, I would say like characteristics. There mm. we go. That's a better word. Mm. Um, yeah. So there's like eight characteristics, like he kind of references here, and overall, uh, it's the his definition is 
okay, but he definitely does fall into that trap of like, ah, this one socialist seemed pretty cool. And then you're like, no, he wasn't, unfortunately, because he just turned around to he he did he pulled another like Mussolini. So like, um, um, which socialist was? Oh, uh, maybe I'm. Th- was I think? Never mind. I'm gonna totally delete that part. Um, no, 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 you're fine. I I may also just be forgetting because I I was like, yeah, this all seems. So I I was like reading through that chapter a bit better. Uh, I was thinking of Argentina because we talked about this yesterday. Oh. Uh, Peron? Yeah, Peron. He kind of maybe. No, he maybe he so. didn't like Peron. He he thought he was a fascist, which okay. yes, yes, in he a lot was. Of ways. Um, yeah. All right. Continue. Uh, I okay. So that part just delete it from because I totally was talking no, no, about no. my ass there. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Keep it in. It's less editing. This is true. As people are probably aware, I do a very quick edit because you know this is a raw podcast we're real and authentic yeah. with yeah. our words the only thing i change is to make sure i take out the silence because i really fucking hate it when people leave that in by accident yeah yeah Ugh, for fuck's sakes anyway um okay so jackson's definition definitely did the marrying of the you know capitalism with state violence with nationalism uh with always having some imp- uh, always having an enemy, and mm-hmm. essentially, once that enemy is killed, figuring out another enemy to kind of yeah. keep going. Um, yeah. So, those aspects are good. I think the one thing he kind of, granted, it's more like the history that he kind of did and we kind of touched on, is he omitted Germany, and then because he kind of did, he sort of, like, omitted the, like, what, like, kind of why germany fell into fucking fascism and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it's it's like a little frustrating because it's like that's really important like part of the fucking history of it yeah and as a result of that um i feel like he also falls into the camp of like i mean not even falls into the camp but like i feel like he absolutely is in the camp of it was wrong to go to war in world war ii now he does take the position that he talks about Germany a little bit. Yeah. In the sense of, he talks about how the USSR was going to march to the the coast of Europe um, and just control all of Europe, which if the US hadn't been involved, maybe, actually maybe. <laughs> However, um, would Germany have killed, ha- have been able to kill every Jewish person in the continent? Also, maybe. Um, would the number have been 6 million or would it have been 10 million if they had had more time? If they hadn't had to split their resources on two fronts, um, if the French and the, the English hadn't gotten the, the backup from the U.S. It's hard to say because, like, we can't really, we can't really know. But, like, I feel like even, even though the... The result of World War II, which still would have been the result anyway. The U.S. still would have been, if, if anything, if the U.S. hadn't gone into World War II, it still would have been in a position to uh, oppress the world after. Right. Because Europe would have been, well, Europe would have been USSR potentially. So, But even then, like, 
the USSR would have lost even more people. The USSR would have been more strapped for resources, yeah. even though they now had, like, potentially control of all of Europe. Like, it, that's, that just means it's more for them to rebuild by themselves. So I don't know that um, that would have necessarily resulted in the USSR being any stronger, at least in the short term, when the US, the US would have been able to capitalize on the lack of competition on stage. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, his denial of trying to, because, you know, he's just saying the US is an enemy against all, uh, all socialists. Uh, governments and all anti-imperialism stuff, which is true. However, this is like, this is the one gimme that they can have is World War II. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing I I misspoke. It's not revolutionary and counter-revolutionary. It's mobilization and Mm -hmm. counter-mobilization in which you take... Or contra Yeah, contra-mobilization. Yeah, it's like kind Mm -hmm. of you essentially like flip it and reverse it we were like, mm-hmm. you take people's actual grievances and then be like, okay, but you can blame someone else for them. Like, it's not our fault. It's these other dudes' fault who definitely yeah. don't have any power. So, you it, know. A good way to think about it is like how, as as we know from our earlier readings about like fascism um, and our early readings about American uh, history, um, white people and black people prior to the American Revolution in the U.S. Um, for the most part, sixteen late 1600s into the very early 1700s, pretty much on the same side because they were all pretty oppressed. I mean, obviously, black slaves more. Not not going to come anywhere close to deny that. But um, they they had a lot in common, and it was only through the contra mobilization of white people by giving them like elevated privileges right that that was squashed yeah you pretty much keep people on the hook just enough to yes. be like okay i'm not mad at you anymore it's you're pretty much are in a abusive spouse situation where yes uh they they beat the shit out of you and they say baby never gonna do that again love bomb you and then you're like okay things seem good now like things seems okay and once again so a new black eye. Uh, yeah. I want to read a passage from um, page 144. Um, okay. This is related to the fascism thing of the finished product, the actual fascist arrangement, is diametrically opposed to the orig- to its original ideology. The regime turns openly traditionalist, and idiots like Mussolini receive the favor and compliments of other idiots like President Roosevelt, Bernard Shaw, DuPont, H.G. Wells. This stems from an inevitable conflict between the notion of a new spiritualistic man and the theory of the ethical state. The ideals of obedience and creativity, authority and freedom are so contradictory of each other, so mutually exclusive, that the, ide- the, that the ideology of fascism can never be taken seriously. Which, yeah, you're experiencing that right now, where people are like, but they're not fascists, though. And it's like, my guy, they are. Like, the definition... It, there's it's fascism is just so fucking slippery that yeah. it's yeah and that's the point yeah that's the point um and that's a really good thing to bring up because he does a really good job with pointing out the the three phases and using Mussolini he is is a perfect example because right. like 
in the first phase, it is um, contra-motivated, contra-mobilized, um, but it's it's still based on the same grievances as, say, the socialist movement of, like, we have no food, we have uh, no economic power, we have no political power, um, we want to see changes in our society. Um, and that movement generates a lot of heat and interest um, and a lot of excitement um, and allows it to put itself in a position of opposition against the currently entrenched power structure. And then when it gets power, um, initially it is an, an unstable power. Right. Um, and so it creates internal and external enemy um, to essentially draw the focus away from its lack of stability and give populations that it can't yet deliver for, like it promised to, uh, an outlet so that they do not turn right around and tear it down and do something else. And also prevents them from, say, joining the socialists and being like, wait, actually, you were right all along. And then the third phase where it is solidified, it dives deep into tradition, it um, solidifies those outgroups and can truly work to eliminate them. Exactly. Yeah. They, everything's unstable. Kill the people who are making things unstable. Solidify your power. And then be like, all right, so we need to keep my power. Got to go find a new, but, new thing. Exactly. New group to claim is the instability, even though yeah. they were not an issue for establishing the prior level of stability. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Which is very much capitalism. Where yeah. at every every time you get to a stable point because you have to keep growing, you find a new point of instability to focus on. Um, which is why George Jackson's argument that capitalism is just fascism is pretty apt. Yeah. Um also uh the seven characteristics, uh I said eight earlier, it's seven. It's on page one sixty eight <laughs> and one sixty nine. Um but yeah, so uh, was there any critiques that you had about his fascism? I know we just like his history stuff, but like, is there anything? Yeah. Um, I do think that much like um, revolution, socialist revolution, fascism is dialectic. It is dependent on the conditions and the social and cultural history mm -hmm. of a place. Um, I do think that the the phases and the behaviors in each phase do blend into each other. So like <clears throat> the focus on tradition, while it was heavier in the last stage of fascism for the, the Italian fascists, um, like for and as much as you can argue, America is a fascist state. Um, a lot of the like current organizing fascists in the US heavily focus on tradition, heavily focus on like creating those out groups from the, the get-go. Um, and they're uh, in particular right now, like the, the big one, trans individuals, LGBT in general. And that is because of the cultural history of the US, that is gaining them a lot of ground because of the pre-existing Christian fears regarding anything that isn't straight, white, and cis. Right. Um, so he, he, 
it is like uh, as we've covered before truly nailing down fascism is impossible uh, because it is syncretic because it is so slippery because it is so dependent on the culture and the politics and the economics of where it is um that he could have written another 300 pages on fascism and still wouldn't have nailed that yeah I mean, we've we've read 300 pages on fascism, just fascism before, and it it got close to nailing it down, but it ultimately, unfortunately, it is impossible to always have a perfect definition. Yeah, and also the people who should know fucking better about what fascism is easily fall into that mm-hmm. red brown alliance bullshit. So like, mm-hmm. the whole point is is that you have to kind of be very critical of certain positions and like certain movements and being like okay what what are they saying and like what are they not saying at the same time Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. are they doing stuff so like even naked ass shit like you know trump was such a people like oh no he didn't mean all that is like guys come on like it it is so frustrating because as we mentioned earlier people think they're smart Mm -hmm. they're not so Mm -hmm. that's you know that shit just it happens. Except us. Yeah, we're totally the smartest people in the whole fucking world. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are there any passages you want to call out? I called out one of them that I did earlier. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let me let me pull up the old uh, picture image book. Hell yeah. Uh, where I took some screenshots. You're all smart. I just dog-eared the fuck out of my book of things. And then, like, there's one where it's just, like, a, there's no paragraph. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't remember the thing I wanted to do here. So um, so most of these are from him discussing the Vanguard Party and the necessity okay. of uh, revolution. People's war is not polite and proper. It is not possible to limit the scope and range of violence to what the enemy will bear without reacting. Any idea... Any activity that may do violence to their control will never be. People's war is improvisation and more improvisation. It is organizing the masses around their realistic needs and moving them against whatever forces restrict their passage to power. I repeat, realistic, day-to-day needs should be the basis of organizing people and making them conscious of revolution. That the world, the universe, must revolve. That it will stop, stagnate, and die for no man's If we accept revolution, we must accept all that it implies. Repression, counterterrorism, days filled with work, nervous strain, prison, funerals. <clears throat> Let's see, are these two pages directly next to each other? Yes. Our present problem as soldiers is to protect our political people at, at their work and enforce the increasing demands of the people as a political result. Uh, we'll, make, we'll make upon that. The soldier is the counterterrorist, the bodyguard, the first of the military vanguard. The distance between him and the class enemy is a free fire zone. He has to be the baddest and strongest of our kind. Calm, sure, self-possessed, completely familiar with the fact that the only thing that stands between a black man and violent death are the fast break, quick draw, and snapshot. Terrible Jonathan's teeth on the barrel of the political tool, hardened against the concrete of the most uncivilized jungles of the planet, Chicago, St. Louis, Los Angeles, San Francisco, tested in a dozen fires. Tall, slim youth, the new, I'm not going to say that, 
with the gun and the eyes of the hunter, the hunter of men. Uh, Jonathan, in that particular case, being his brother, who um, took hostage a uh, U.S. circuit court judge and a couple clerks uh, with two other revolutionary uh, comrades. And then uh, the police killed all of them, shot the, the van that they were trying to get away in um, with uh, bullets until everyone inside it was dead. Didn't give a shit about the hostages. They just fucking murdered him. <clears throat> so the next, yeah, I just kept screenshotting. <laughs> These comrades must make the first contribution. They will be the first to fall. We gather up their bodies, clean them, kiss them, and smile. Their funerals should be gala affairs of home-brewed wine and revolutionary music to do the dance of death by. We should be sad only that it's taken us so many generations to produce it. Building consciousness and revolutionary culture against the repressive natural defense reflexes of the system means taking realistic day-to-day -day issues like hunger, the need for clothing and housing, and joblessness. It involves provoking repression, feeding on it. The fact of political and political economic prisoners in legions and the processes used by the oppressors to judge and condemn them must be used as the rallying cries of revolution. Economic crime and even crimes of passion against the oppressors must be understood as rebellion. Even funerals can be used as an issue, since there will be so many. Improvising on reality is the key principle underlying the building of the united left and raising the consciousness of the people. It will give us our tactics. In the black colony and other depressed areas of the country, there will be less difficulty in organizing, mobilizing, and altering the attitudes of people towards their class enemies. However, in the areas of the class structure that can be said to be making it, affecting attitudes towards a revolutionary change in the system of production and distribution will, of course, call for the destruction of their comfort, the manufacturing of a condition where they will either be neutral or complementary to the revolution. Did I keep? I did indeed. Okay. Thank goodness. <clears throat> The psychological effect of our secret army, the real destructive effort it can have, an increasingly pervades underground press with new emphasis on a mass style, the popular popularization of the revolutionary culture, and then the elevating of it, both under the direct direction of an ultra-aggressive political party. These three, with no element missing, connected to the realistic issues, form the basis of our only hope. There will be no educating, no consciousness, no revolutionary culture, no forward movement without these three elements. The elements being a secret army, a pervasive underground press, and the popularization of the revolutionary culture. Without these three elements working with the harmony of a healthy organism. To sum up, okay, I didn't keep going after this page. Um, it then skips another. <laughs> to sum up, the existence of a political vanguard precedes the existence of any of the other elements of truly revolutionary culture. If the thrust of this political vanguard is effective, demonstrating realistic, sincere designs aimed at the overthrow of established power, it will be attacked by the built-in automatic survival instincts of the established power complex, creating and supporting the need to counterpoise the violence of power. Without the ability to organize a counterforce to neutralize the violence of established power, antithesis dies. We are not contending with fools who will, who will allow us to simply walk in and organize people to war against them. All serious challenges will be met with panic and repression. That is axiom. 
we must not allow ourselves to be hunted, imprisoned, and murdered. We will never yield to terror attack. We will organize violence of our own, hidden and more aggressively. We will fight them from, from a position of weakness, but there are tactical devices that, if employed without restraint, will afford us a very real. <clears throat> and then the other section, I'm pretty sure still in the same chapter, despite jumping 40 pages, not 60, 40 pages. Armed struggle is at the very heart of revolution. If the problems of the people cannot be redressed because the necessary resources are in the hands of a relatively few families and individuals, means we are going to have to seize this property. Seizing property has always meant some form of war, some form of armed struggle. If history is our guide, it clearly records that nothing of any great value has ever changed a of struggle, or at least a show of or threat of violence. Men simply don't surrender what they think of as their privilege and property except by form. History itself is economically motivated class struggle. There's simply no way to compare this society or its historical experience with that of a tiny colonial country like Chile. Allende is not seizing property. His government is buying property. Until the Chilean ruling capitalist class is suppressed, the Chilean revolution is as meaningless as the Swedish experiment. Socialist governments, which attempt to coexist with capitalistic economies, completely forget the economic motive of human social aid. Modern human social aid, to correct him. Revisionism has given birth to countless socialistic hermaphrodites, always to the detriment of people's power. Strained, tortured definitions of social existence and organization have trapped the people in so many contradictions that most have given up all hope of harnessing the... And then I did take a screenshot of the next page. Um, let's see. Okay. I have a couple more. Uh, they're oh each goodness. individual page. Actually, no, I screenshotted three. Okay. Um, <clears throat> of course, the revolution has failed. Fascism has temporarily succeeded under the guise of reform. The only way we can destroy it is to refuse to compromise with the enemy state and its ruling class. Compromises were made in the 30s, the 40s. The old vanguard parties made gross strategic and tactical errors. At the existential moment, the last revolution about oneself, not many members of the old vanguard chose to risk their whole futures, their lives, in order to alter the conditions that Huey P. Newton, destructive of life. Reformism was allowed. The most degenerate elements of the working class were the first to succumb. The vanguard parties supported the capitalistic war adventure in World War II. Yeah, and that's where he is like... It, it, it's he does not have uh, a good enough analysis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after a lengthy and, un and clearly unnecessary ideological battle that laid to rest a direct approach to revolution by the white or black worker, we are now faced with an equally unnecessary ideological battle battle over which of the various communal approaches has the strongest revolutionary. So. Okay. The problem is compounded by the almost apolitical withdrawal of the growing weatherman faction and their estranged allies on campus to organic food gardens and a life of sex, music, and drugs. Their Nietzschean Hegelian withdrawal mimics the European historical experience of the last five generations. Um, that section, I feel like he needs to expand for like another 30 pages or so to make that point valid. Yeah. Um, in our equation, this must be considered the minor side of the syllogism. Through revolution, though revolution is in fashion, the realistic cohesive synergism seems as yet impossibly. Um, on the other side of the equation, 
Okay, yeah, so these, these three pages. I, I, on the other side of the equation, we have Huey Newton's concept of black communes set well within the huge population centers. So this concept accepts any level of violence that will be necessary to enforce the demands of the people. And these communes will be tied to one another by a national and international union and joined with the world's other revolutionary society. Um, before I continue that, that paragraph, I wonder if his position on the weathermen would have changed if he had lived to see them do their bombings. Yeah, I, yeah, I forgot about the weatherman <laughs> thing he mentioned. He was like, yeah, they're pretty rad. And it's just like, okay. He, he did, well, yeah, it seems, at least my reading of it, it's like he thinks their, their position is wrong because they're like oh. retreating from society. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Retreating from like the masses to like go live in like, what he views as like hippie communes. Yeah. Um, so these communes will be tied to one another by the national and international vanguard party and joined with the world's other revolutionary societies. They are the obvious answer to all the theoretical and practical questions and problems about an American re a revolution that will be carried out principally by blacks. The question I've asked myself over the years runs is who has done most of the dying, most of the work, most of the time in prison? Who is the hindmost in every aspect of social, political, and economic life? Who has the least short-term interest or no interest at all in the survival of the present state? In this condition, how could we believe in the possibility of a new generation of enlightened fascists who would dismantle the basis of their hierarchy? Just how many Americans are willing to accept the physical destruction of some part of their fatherland so that the rest of the land and the world might survive with good health? How can the Black... Why does it go from a to okay because i okay um i screenshotted it in such a way that part of page eight is also in okay <laughs> how can the black industrial worker be induced to carry out a valid workers revolutionary policy what and who will guide him the commune the city the central citywide revolutionary culture but who will build the commune that will guide the people to a significant challenge to property Carving out a commune in the central city will involve claiming the certain rights as our own, out front, right, rights that have not been respected to them, property. It will involve building a political, social, and economic infrastructure capable of filling the vacuum that's been left by the establishment ruling climate and pushing the occupying forces of the enemy culture from our midst. The implementation of this new social, political, and economic program will feed and comfort all the people on at least a subsistence level to force the owners of the enemy bourgeois culture to either tie their whole fortunes to the communes and the people or to leave the land the tools that are behind if he will not leave voluntarily we will expel him we will use the shotgun and the anti-tank rocket launch. the anti-tank rocket launcher again that yeah. should always ah makes me laugh okay <laughs> so uh, that's everything that I screenshot. Nice. Uh, I'm going to round this off with uh, one thing that I found on uh, page 186. Uh, this is about the oppressive uh, contract, that section. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the oppressive contract. Um, during the nationalist period of the collective oppressed mentality promoted by the establishment, the movement is frozen, static. This is the level of development favored by the oppressor. The artless, empty ideals of the pseudo-nation, love and respect for a flag, a nationalistic song, or beat. 
the fervent belief in bond or organization which arises out of a thwarted longing for real community. The establishment does everything in its power to ensure that revolutionary rage is redirected into empty outlets which provide pressure release pressure releases for desires that could become dangerous if allowed to progress. At this stage in the development of monopoly capitalism, there are two alternatives, aggressive revolutionary activity or calcification. Conservative society, black or white, is decadent due to the absence of create conservative society always burns itself out. <clears throat> All right, last discussion point. Uh, I'll read it, whatever. Uh, many <laughs> Marxists post-Jackson think that his calls for revolutionary violence were incorrect and misled. What are our thoughts on this position and on revolutionary violence? In- so, I think they're wrong to think that he is misled. Okay. Because we have, we have had in the past few years, and not even extending like within our life, we have had an entire, what, what some fascists might call a summer of rage, a true summer of rage, um, at rage at how the United States uh, and its police forces treat black and brown people. Um, these were called the George, George Floyd protests, and it lasted for months, um, and it, it engaged millions of people in protest, and increase the the revolutionary consciousness of millions and even resulted in a few um as fox news might call them no-go zones um and as a uh, revolutionary might call them uh temporary communes um and in spite of all of that we did not have a revolution we did not have an uprising we had moments of non-directed violence we had moments of, we had not moments, but weeks and months of peaceful protest and even occasionally common people. Um, but what we do not have out of it is a revolution. Right. In spite of all of the culture that around a socialism, which you can find millions of Americans talking about on the internet, on any given day, on any given web page, whether it be Twitter, Discord, Reddit, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, what happened, TikTok. Um, we do not have a revolution. I I do agree with George Jackson. The only way that we will have a true revolution in the United States is organized revolutionary. So I'm going to say that I think we kind of creative in terms of what does violence mean. You know, we have sure. been reading about what violence, because I think what most people think of violence and really like, you're going to kill somebody. Right? That mm-hmm. is that. And not really violence against the state, which, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it could be. Um, uh, Blowing up a pipeline. Yeah. Destroying, destroying pi- you know, infrastructure. infrastructure right. <clears throat> so um, I think that, unfortunately, because no one does want to be in the vanguard party like no one wants to try to form one or if they are Mm -hmm. forming one we don't know about it which is good but good um you know i think if we're supposed to have a you know a revolution and we're just gonna agree like it's going to be violent in some shape or form there has to be some vanguard party that does it and we just can't even get our act together about I would say basic shit 
um like kicking out people who are kind of racist from like organizations and or abuse their power or sexual harassment like Mm -hmm. we like yeah i yeah there's just too much of people wanting to feel important like and Mm -hmm. be the the hero right and And, kind of as i said earlier but also too little uh of an understanding and acceptance that to truly be a part of the Vanguard Party, you were going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I'm always on the side of like, I just don't see it happening because people are just don't want to suffer anymore. And that's fair. I can't be like, yeah, so like, go do that for me and like eh, you probably lose your life or i mean you're or not even like losing your life like like from a mortality instance of just like you're just in fucking jail right like your life's or fucking over constantly on the run yeah you, you know you, you have limited access to what are considered in the metropole uh like the the comforts of of life like you probably can't even have a presence on the internet in general, just yeah. because like if you were that dangerous to society uh, or the, the the fascist society, um, the government structures, they're they're going to make a concerted effort to find you. And what we know about things like Prism and uh, all of the other forms of constant monitoring that the United States government does on its population when they aren't trying to overthrow it through violent revolution, I can only imagine how intensely they would be looking. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, there are things that we can learn from Nazi. Oh, boy. Because, I know, it's a spicy take. Um, But I'm not going to say modern Nazis, but, like, the Unabomber and, uh, was it Timothy McVeigh who did Oklahoma City? Yeah. They got for they flew under the United States radar for a very long time. Now, Timothy McVeigh probably could have gotten away with it if he had just buckled his fucking seatbelt and drove the speed limit. Yeah. Um not saying what he did in Oklahoma was good. He killed fucking seventy children because he doesn't like taxes. But his the the tactics of late 80s, early 90s, living outside of society in in some way, shape, or form, off the grid, and engaging in um, communication and organization primarily through direct conversation and not through uh, a potentially monitored um, or trackable uh, communication uh, technology, which back in the day would have been like, phone calls or uh, early like Usenet or like bulletin boards on the web um, is the way forward for a Vanguard party. Like that there there are some tactics that are not necessarily fascist, but are necessarily guerrilla. Right. And unfortunately, only the right has been in the past 30. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to hand it to the Nazis for that, but, uh, <laughs> we could... yeah, no, like they're using tactics that are not specific to them, but they, they are using them. True. And it, it is 
one of the only things that the United States government cannot easily track is just meeting people in the middle of the fucking desert. Yeah. Which, if you're fighting a revolution in in city centers, it's hard to do. Yes, for sure. Um, I, like, in terms of, like, why, I guess, folks felt Jackson's position was, like, wrong, um, I recall what their actual... Like, uh, in the Liberation School, or... Okay. Another important source of revolutionary knowledge is obtained from the mistakes and errors found in bloodlining. For example, Jackson embraces an accelerationism that left his younger brother Jonathan dead at the young age of 17. Here, he's referring to Jonathan P. Jackson's attack on Marion County Courthouse, in which he kidnapped a superior court judge, sorry, not a circuit court, but superior court judge, prosecutor, and three jurors to demand the release of the Soledad brothers. Explaining the logic behind his brother's actions, Jackson comments that he knew that as he proceeded in liberating, there would be more effect. It is tempting to romanticize these daring brave acts of bravery, but doing so will not accomplish what is needed to defeat capitalism, winning the majority of the working class over to socialism. The study guide draws attention to these aspects of the TED and engages the reader in discussion of the lessons they offer organizers today. Which, if you talk to anyone under the age of 30 and you say, hey, do, do you want socialism? I guarantee you they're like, gonna say yes. Yeah. Like, it, it, like, maybe like 90 to 10, maybe 80 to 20 is going to be yes for We have the saturation of a desire, and yet we have no. Yeah, I, it is, the thing is, you know, we read about reform, and like, we've kind of seen several examples of reform uh, happening, you know, you get like a little, little crumb, um, mm -hmm. and, and I always go back and forth on this. I guess my problem will still always be if there is sure revolutionary violence if you manage to organize it that way sure but i have such high fucking doubts that it'll actually happen here for sure absolutely because <clears throat> as much as people in the united states suffer and struggle we have externalized so much of the necessary pain of modern society to other countries. Yeah. Like we like we are a treats economy to steal that from a, a podcast that I, I enjoy very much. We are a treats and gifts and momentary distraction economy. And in a, an economy like that, in a society like to the incentive to engage in violent revolution does not exist at the mass um, to have enough individuals who are willing to turn their life towards participating in uh, revolutionary violence vanguard because those individuals are working in factories. They're working in factories in Thailand, in Bangladesh, in India, and in Africa. And because of that, and because of the support that our country gives to those countries continue to keep those people down and in the the place that our country wants them to be which is a and suffering uh, they they also do not have i mean maybe they do maybe we will see more of it especially as climate change continues to threaten and make more precarious um, but 
as far as the U.S., we, even as we suffer, we have externalized so much of our suffering that it saps the revolutionary potential of U.S. work. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else for this last discussion point or just about blood in my eye in general? Um, it's a bit of a downer way to end. Yeah. But I feel like that's I think most of our, I think it's most of our fucking political, like book reading yeah. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. To pivot to more exciting things. Uh, next episode is our 50th episode. We made, we made it fam. Um, and to switch things up, we're going to watch a movie about a book we read. Wait, sorry. Based on a book we read. There we go. Uh, called how to, <laughs> we mentioned it before. It was a hint guys uh how to blow up a pipe how to blow up a pipeline the movie which came Woo! out uh last, last year? year yep and it's available uh on youtube and the high seas um mm-hmm. so we're gonna do that mm-hmm. for july no books we're gonna no read books. we're gonna read a movie based on a book and um in august we're gonna do weird scenes inside the canyons about is that fiction or is it UFO stuff? Uh, the weird scenes one. Yeah. Oh, it's about the you. It's funny because you recommended this. Um, oh, I did. Yeah, it's about the okay. '60s and like music and just kind of the oh, all that okay. fun stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then September, we're gonna read back to political shit. I had to like we need to take a break like real quick. So September, we're gonna read hegemony and socialist strategy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that is our n- upcoming um three months so any any parting words jimmy we gotta figure out a, a point in this year where we're gonna read fiction yes we will for yeah. sure probably will maybe, be maybe november yeah november october one of those times. i mean october we're doing something spooky aren't we yeah could, it could be spooky fiction could be spooky fiction yeah Ooh, okay yeah um, all right be, get excited for that listeners yeah we if hopefully we'll remember. <laughs> we have 13 listeners, damn it. We are holding yeah. steady at that. All right. Yeah. Uh remember, books, books are, are good. good. Actually. Actually.